Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today's special guest is a psychologist, a scientist, and a social entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, a collaborative accelerator that connects scientists, health practitioners, educators, and artists to help lead humanity to heal ourselves. So, Dr. Shamini Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucas. It's fun to be here with you. Awesome. So maybe do you want to let my listeners know a little bit about your journey and, and your story? You bet. You know, Lucas, basically, since I can remember, I've been fascinated with human healing potential. And maybe it started because I grew up with East Indian background, East Indian descent. My parents moved here from India to the South in the United States probably about 60 years ago, they were the first Indians in town. And I grew up with, you know, all of my friends who were Baptist Christians, and I would go to church with them. And they noticed that our customs were different from theirs. And we would just have lively conversations about it. So it was interesting, because in one way, I knew that some of our beliefs in spirituality, while not exactly the same as Christianity, you know, we had this sort of shared belief in 
spirituality and explorations of consciousness in our own way. And it was really, though, when I started going to school at some of the best universities in the country that I realized that while I could maybe go with my friends to church and I could explore these really amazing and sometimes far out texts, you know, in Hindu and Jan philosophy on consciousness, we couldn't talk about that in school. We couldn't study it and we could do things like study the brain and we could study, you know, what we called health, which was really more of the study of disease. Mm. But especially at that time, when I was going to school in the 90s, you know, in college, we weren't really, we weren't really in a place to even discuss things like consciousness or even healing. And so I found myself feeling like I had this very fractured education because at one hand, I'm studying at Columbia University, one of the best universities in the country, you know, Ivy League. And they're telling us that the brain doesn't change after age seven. And on the other hand, I've grown up with all these teachings that teach us about the power of things like meditation and yoga and other kinds of practices and how they affect our consciousness and how could they affect our health. So I really found myself kind of caught in the middle because on one hand, I would read the spiritual books and I would say, well, how do they really know? You know, like they're saying all this. How do they know yoga calms the parasympathetic nervous system? Like who's done the studies, right? And then on the other hand, I was always really curious why we could study the brain, but not talk about consciousness. Now, you know, it's been a couple of decades. I've done a lot of my own research. Um, I, you know, lead a nonprofit where I help facilitate community among many researchers that are tenured professors at major universities across the U.S. and the world who are entertaining these questions of consciousness. And what could it mean if we start diving into how our consciousness can facilitate our healing? Mm. So we've come some way. We've come some way, but there's some still leading edge areas that, as you might know, are still quite a mystery, right? Things that we call, for example, spontaneous remission or placebo and even energy healing. And much of my work has focused on exploring what do we know about these kinds of practices? Do they really affect our health? And if they do, how? How useful are these for patients? And what can we learn about this whole area that we call the biofield, which are fields of energy and information that help heal us? What can we learn from the area of biofield science to help us uplevel our mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical healing at this time? Yeah, it's fascinating. There's something that you just briefly mentioned there that I'd love to dive deeper into is the concept of the placebo effect itself. So let's sort of explore that and tell us what you found over the years through research and probably in, in practice, what you've seen with the um, placebo effect. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a deep fondness for what we call placebo, and I have a whole chapter of it in my new book, which is called Healing Ourselves, Biofield Science and the Future of Health. It's um, happy to say it's already a bestseller on Amazon, which is amazing. It just released um, recently, very recently. So happy for that. And I have a whole chapter on this because what I've come to understand through my own research and also exploring the research of my colleagues at Harvard University and other places is that what we call placebo are actually fundamental healing elements. And let me explain a little bit of why I say that. We see what we call placebo effects, which mean generally people, well, let me ask you this, Lucas, when I say the word placebo, what comes to your mind? What do you think of when I say placebo? For me, a matter of almost like convincing yourself that something is going to elicit a certain outcome, I guess. 
Yeah. Great. So like this idea of expectation or mindset, right? So that's part of it for sure. You know, a lot of people, when they think of placebo, they almost think of getting tricked, you know, that kind of thing. Like you're being told that you're getting some kind of medicine, but you're not really getting that medicine and still you get better. Right. And that has something to do with your expectation. So essentially what placebo is, when we look at these studies is people are given something that is not an active chemical agent or not a real surgery or not real acupuncture or whatever. And yet they get better. What's fascinating is that we see these so-called placebo effects across the board. We see them for drugs. We see them in surgery and we see them in holistic medicine. And when you start boiling down what you see, you'll realize that placebo is actually made up of elements that we can actually work with to up-level our own healing. And those elements include expectation, which is whether we think we're going to have a positive effect from this medicine, right? Or this agent conditioning, which has to kind of almost do in a way with our mind, body, memory. For example, if I've gotten a massage and I had a really good experience, the chances are the next time I go lay on the table to get a massage from that same person, my body's going to automatically relax because it has this memory of what happened before. That's kind of what conditioning is. It's a learning, body, mind, learning process. So there's expectation, there's conditioning, but then there are these other elements of placebo that are really powerful, like relationship. There are studies showing now that when doctors are just very kind and kind of warm to their patients, they facilitate better outcomes down to recovery of the common cold. And we've seen this time and time again, relationship matters. Ritual is hugely important. And we see ritual in all forms of medicine. Even when we go to the allopathic doctor and we check into a clinic and we fill out paperwork and then we go and we get weighed and we get our vitals checked and the doctor comes in with a white coat. Well, that's a ritual. There's actually something called white coat hypertension because sometimes people's blood pressure goes up when they see that white coat. So that's a response to a ritual. Well, shamanic rituals are also rituals and they help to train the body, mind, spirit to open to healing. So we see rituals everywhere in medicine, not just in the doctor's office. And those rituals are important for healing. And then there's the meaning and context of it all. You know, what the illness means to me, what healing means to me. And it turns out that plays a really important role in the healing process. So what's fascinating is whether we choose to take a drug or get surgery, or go get acupuncture, or energy healing, or even meditate, we can capitalize, if you will, for lack of a better term. We can work with these elements, these natural healing elements. I call them holistic elements that activate life force or heal. We can work with these to set our body, mind, spirit in the right conditions for healing to happen. And, you know, so it's really absolutely fascinating. And there's really deep research on the impact. The other thing I'd like to share about placebo is sometimes we do have this idea that we have to be duped, right? Like we have to be tricked. But our colleagues at Harvard University are now doing some really fascinating, what we call open label placebo studies, where they're actually going to the patient and they're giving them a quote placebo pill that is basically an inactive pill. It doesn't have any chemical in it that would activate, you know, your neurotransmitters or anything like that, the way the regular drug would. And they tell them, this is a placebo pill. I am giving you a placebo and placebo has been found in studies. And this is all true to have a powerful mind body effect. And it's possible that this placebo may help reduce your symptoms. 
Mm. Well, guess what? They're finding they've already set, published several smaller level studies, and now they're doing larger multi-million dollar trials on this open label placebo because they're seeing that patients get better, even when they're told they get a placebo. So what does that mean, Lucas? That means that our consciousness is far more powerful to increase our healing capacity than we ever dreamed possible. And when we begin to look at this area of biofield science and exploring things like energy healing, we start learning about how powerful our consciousness is to heal ourselves, but also others. It's really amazing. It is fascinating. And there's one concept there that you sort of touched on that I can really resonate with being a, a practitioner myself is that therapeutic relationship that you build with the client. And, you know, it's less so actually about the prescription and more so just being there to, I guess, even just listen to the patient and actually be a sounding board. Because a lot of the time, you know, you see patients, they just want to be listened to. They just want to be heard. Um, and so that that there, although we can't really truly measure that therapeutic relationship, um, it's it's a really important factor when it comes to healing. It really is, Lucas. You know, as a clinical psychologist, I always laugh because whether you're an energy healer or a psychologist or whatever, we have our tools, our tool bags, our techniques. But if you're familiar with the work of Carl Rogers, who was the founder of humanistic psychology, he was known for his sessions where he sat in silence with his patients for 45 minutes. Didn't say a word. No advice, no prescription, no homework, no examining your thoughts, none of that. He sat with them for 45 minutes in silence and would have these profound effects where their mental health would be substantially increased, right? And they asked him what he was doing and he called it unconditional positive regard, okay? Which is another word for love, really, which is essentially what the heart of healing is. So when we come into presence with our patients in loving presence and loving awareness, we sometimes don't realize that, you know, that might be honestly the biggest healer that there is. And what's interesting is when you talk to healing practitioners about this, you know, people who do energy healing or spiritual healing, that's essentially what they're describing their process to be. They're channeling the currents of compassion. They're actually getting themselves out of the way. And they'll describe it sometimes as universal life energy, chi, prana, different ways that they describe this energy. But they are actually releasing themselves from the process, their egos, their expectations of what they think as the healing practitioner they're going to do. And they allow for this process to simply happen while staying in a compassionate nature and working with whatever techniques they use. Mm. So it's really fascinating because we have been taught for many, many years in science and medicine in the Western world that the healing agent is something outside of ourselves. We've fallen into these models of what I call separatism and materialism, where we've been made to believe that our organs, for a long time we believed kind of, or we practiced medicine in a way that we just didn't pay attention to the interconnections between our organs. It wasn't that long ago, 50 years ago, that people didn't believe that our brains and our immune system were connected. They actually laughed when scientists proposed that our central nervous system, our brain and our spinal cord, were connected to our immune system. Now, of course, we know how deeply interconnected they are. We've even found lymphatic microvessels in the brain, just showing how deep this connection is, right? So not only are we connected in our bodies, but it turns out when we study healing approaches, 
we're connected by energy as well. And so the biofield perspective, this studying these fields of energy and information are helping us understand that we're not separate. We're actually deeply connected. And with training and with our own inner work, we can actually facilitate healing in another person just by way of staying in a state of compassion. Mm, that's really fascinating. Just that whole concept around the practitioner just demonstrating that unconditional positive regard that that practice in and of itself is, you know, the thing that I get confused about is the practitioner themselves. Like how do they then cope with that, I guess, baggage, even though, you know, they're trying to be empathetic, but at the same time, what about their own, you know, mental health themselves when they're sitting in that sort of space? I I get this question a lot from psychotherapists. This is where I think the energy work can really help. You know, when we explore this from the biofield perspective, we have these ways of helping ourselves discern what someone else's emotion is and what our emotion is. Many psychotherapists obviously are naturally empathic. That's why they go into the practice. And many practitioners of healing, all kinds of different doctors, you know, they come into it for the same reasons. They have the healing heart. And burnout is a real thing. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. So there are some tools that we can use that we can learn from healers to work with in our own practice, even if we don't consider ourselves energy healers. And I actually go through many of these practices in my book. The third part of my book is called The Healing Keys, because I'm really synthesizing what we've learned from clinical psychology and the evidence base behind that, as well as what we've learned from spiritual meditative practices, and even what we've learned from energy healers to really dive into these self-healing keys. Mm. And the first one is what we call grounding. Okay. So some people may have heard of earthing, grounding. It's a similar kind of thing where we are allowing ourselves, first of all, to come fully into our bodies and be present with the sensations in our bodies all the way down to our feet. Because let's face it, most of us are kind of in our heads. You know, our minds are kind of out there. We're not really paying attention to what's going on in the body. But when you look at meditative traditions all over the world, Focusing on body sensations was a way to anchor your consciousness back into your body. And it turns out that's really helpful because when we're anchored into the body and when we're bioenergetically connected to the earth, we're helping foster a stream of vitality through the body so that we don't get fatigued. And by being in our body, we're better able to discern when the emotion we're experiencing is someone else's or ours. And by grounding bioenergetically with the earth, we're actually able to discharge emotional energy that we don't need anymore. So there are whole practices that, you know, that I go over in the book on how to do this. So in the healing keys, I talk about grounding for vitality, flowing with emotional energy. There are ways to do this with the breath, you know, literally directing our breath to help release stagnant emotions in the field. Connecting with creativity is a huge healer absolutely huge healer. And I go over some of the science of that and also suggestions for practices. Fostering strong intentions, which is, you know, can be a very lively conversation. A lot of questions and kind of misinformation about intentions. When you look at some of the ancient traditions, like Tibetan Buddhism, for example, they often say that the mind is like a lame rider and the vital force or our energy is like a, a blind horse. So you've got the blind horse of the vital force sort of just kicking around all over the place, kind of aimless and directionless. And then you have the mind, which 
is focused, but actually has no power in and of itself. So you've got to unite those two together. And if you look at all the ancient traditions of Tai Chi, Qigong, you know, many forms of meditation, yoga, this is what they were about. And in the West, we call this mind-body practice. That's why we call it mind-body practice, because we're really uniting these aspects. So it turns out when we unite the mental and the vital forces in our body by doing these kinds of practices, we can foster really strong intentions because we're really clear about what we want and we can discern what somebody else's stuff is, you know, like my inner voice or my inner parent or whatever, who's, who's asking for this kind of thing, right? So you can figure that out when you really get into your body and explore what your mind is saying and where you feel that in your body. Mm. And then from there, you can open your heart to connection. That's a vital healing key for all of us. And I'm sure you know, Lucas, how powerful connection is. You know, you can flip it and say loneliness kills, but really what it's saying is connection heals. And it's not about the quantity of our relationships. It's the quality. There are ways to energetically tap into the heart to be able to release emotions related to relationships that may not serve us anymore, to open to grief and allow that to pass, to forgive to it's open to gratitude and even to open to support on the spiritual level, right? To aid us in our healing process. Mm. And then the final, maybe most powerful healing key is surrender because we know what we want. We think we know what we want. We found, foster these strong intentions. We're going to make it happen. I'm going to make my healing happen. I'm going to get rid of this disease or, you know, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is I want to see happen mm. in my life, I have to let it go because my conditioned self only knows what it knows. Mm. Right. So I, after going through this whole process of getting into my body, feeling my feelings, fostering my intentions, opening to support, I release. Mm. I release to a, a larger whole, a larger consciousness that actually may be able to orchestrate my healing on a deeper level than I even dreamed possible. So these are some of the keys that I've synthesized that I've learned from, you know, over 20, 25 years now of deep research and practice into healing. And they really work. They're really powerful. Mm. Yeah, I love those. And particularly the first one that you mentioned around grounding and earthing. I'm a big fan of that. I do it myself pretty much every night, actually. And then I've also got myself uh, an earthing mat underneath my desk as well. So mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in that. There is something I'd love to dive into, and that's around what the research shows in terms of meditation or yoga and how that influences emotional awareness and or emotional intelligence. In the Western scientific world, we often use this term interoception, which is a fancy term for basically feeling into your body. And, you know, we look at specific brain regions to explore interoception, and there are lots of theories about how tapping into the wisdom of our bodies and bringing awareness to the interior of the body. And many people have many different kinds of experiences. You know, some people, it may be like, oh, well, I feel my heartbeat. I can feel my muscles, you know, these different things. And then other people start experiencing these on, you know, more energetic, they kind of use more energetic terms when they start this interoceptive process. But these practices train us in interoception in a way. So now we're paying attention more to the present moment by paying attention to sensations in our bodies, not necessarily making one happen or moving one away, but just being present with what is. And the body serves as sort of an anchor for present moment experience. So 
Paying attention to the body helps us develop what we call mindfulness, present moment awareness without judgment. And the sheer practice of that, what's magical about it is when we get to a point where we can witness the ebbs and flows of sensation in the body without trying to push anything away, like I feel pain, ooh, I don't want to feel that, or ooh, this feels really good, I want more of that, right? We may initially feel that way, or we might just come to witness it. And we can do this in yoga, we can do it in Tai Chi, in Qigong, we can even do it cooking a meal, okay? It's really about bringing your awareness to your body, like you said earlier. And that is, in a sense, a a form of grounding, grounding into the physical body, grounding into sensation, and cultivating the process of observation. And as we do that, we come into greater present moment awareness, and then we notice our consciousness kind of expands. We're not necessarily in monkey mind as much. We might watch the monkey mind. The monkey mind's always going to do its thing, right? But now we can kind of watch it, just like we watch the sensations in our body. And then our consciousness expands even more. Now we may be more aware, developing our deeper, subtle awareness of the energy in my body. Oh, when I feel sad, I really feel that in my heart center. Mm. Or when I feel joyful, I can, I can feel what that feels like in my body. And the reason I think that's so powerful is because sometimes when we're not aware of the sensations that are going on in our body, we, we may tend to react or we may feel bad and we don't even know why. You know, so from a mental health perspective, tapping into the wisdom of the body really helps us discern our emotions because many of us haven't been taught to feel our emotions. We've been taught that our emotions are not a good thing or they're overwhelming or we shouldn't have them and we should suppress our anger or suppress our depression or, you know, we have so many hangups around emotions, right? So going to the body and just noticing them as sensations can be a really powerful step. And I actually describe how to do this in the flow with emotional energy part of my book, because it's such a great practice for our times. Mm. It's funny with that whole practice, it sort of makes me wonder whether I'm someone who generally speaking is highly emotionally aware because I'm always checking in. I feel like I do it almost 20, 30, 40 times a day where I'm like, observing and sort of witnessing how I'm feeling. And I'm, I even document a lot of that, like on my, my phone and things like that. But this idea of just being a witness and I guess just judging these emotional states without, are you sort of saying that even just by witnessing and non-judgmental observation, that by itself is a therapeutic practice? Absolutely. I mean, this is really what the cultivation of mindfulness is, but you don't have to necessarily go to a mindfulness meditation training to learn how to do this. You can do it by anchoring with the breath. So there are different ways of doing this. And I have some suggestions for practice because a lot of people are struggling with things like chronic pain, anxiety, depression. And it's hard sometimes when we tell our patients, I did a lot of mindfulness training with patients at the Veterans Hospital in La Jolla, California, where I was for many, many years. And most of the time it was good, but sometimes we had patients that were so aware of their distress that it was difficult, you know? So I always encourage people when you're really under significant emotional distress, please, you know, go get support. And that support can look like a psychotherapist. You know, it can look like a trusted friend, but don't feel like you have to do this on your own all the time. First of all, if you're really suffering from emotional distress, first of all, that's very normal. 
particularly in our times. So please don't pathologize yourself. Second, go get support. But these practices of breathing through the body can really help because what we're doing is we're literally washing away stuck emotions energetically by breathing into them. Mm. And so I'll invite us right now, Lucas, if you don't mind, just in a little bit of practice to really get a felt sense of where this is. Sure. We can take a moment and just notice where the breath is at this moment in our body. And so for that, we're just going to take a nice inhale and then a nice exhale. And you can exhale out of your mouth or out of your nose. There is no right or wrong way to breathe. We're simply going to take a moment together and notice the breath coming in the nose and then coming out the mouth or coming out of the nose. And just notice the pace of your own breathing for just a moment. It may be fast, it may be slow, it may be shallow, deep. All of it is welcome. And now we're going to bring our awareness to notice what happens when we follow the breath into the heart area where the air is touching the lungs. Just tuning our sensations here. Noticing the air breathing in and out of the lungs. Taking a moment, if we haven't yet, to just notice the sensations in the front and the back of the heart that is in front of your chest and behind your chest. And just breathing into that. And now allowing for that breath to touch even more deeply all the way into the body, perhaps noticing what might happen if you direct the breath down to your hips in your stomach, your legs, all the way down to your feet. As if you could touch your toes with your breath. Just taking a moment to tune in. Enjoying the breath.
Now bringing your awareness back to your heart, if you've had your eyes closed, you can open them just giving thanks for taking a few moments for the practice of tuning into your breath. So it's so simple, and this is just a little taster. We didn't even go all the way through the body. And we can talk about the physiology of what happens when we do practices like these, of course. There's a spiritual aspect, there's an energetic aspect, there's a physical aspect to this practice and a mental and emotional one. But what it helps us do is just sort of slow down a little bit and notice what's here. And so anchoring the breath and body sensation like this is just a way of beginning to practice that non-judgmental observation process. Mm. And sometimes it's hard. Okay. I want to name that for anyone who tuned in and they're like, oh, oh, I felt like this tightness in my chest and I really didn't like that. Or I felt this pain in my hip. And, you know, that's cool. Actually, that's good noticing of where you are. In my book, I describe practices where when we tune in and we give ourselves a little bit more time, we can actually breathe into those areas of discomfort because from the energetic level, it's literally stuck energy that we're feeling when we feel pain sometimes and stagnation. So we can breathe into that, not forcing anything, but just allowing some space for that to unravel a little bit. And it does. It does unravel. It's amazing. Just to, It just reminds me. It reminds me of some of the meditation practices that I did. And you've got such an amazing, amazing voice for it as well. It's so like tranquil and relaxing, just that entire process, which I think is definitely neglected. And that sort of practice can really go such a long way, particularly for busy entrepreneurs like myself or people that run their own businesses who are always doing a million things at once. But, you know, what I would love to also explore is also a little bit around what some of the research shows around yoga, some of those yoga practices, I know obviously it's another form of, of mindfulness, but what what's something unique or different there that you've seen over the years? Well, I'll be honest with you. In my book, I actually review the research behind yoga, Tai Chi, and different forms of meditation. And to be honest, they're more similar than different. There are probably some common mechanisms at play here, but what we know from the evidence behind yoga is that it is helpful for chronic pain. It does appear to be helpful for some aspects of mental health. It can be helpful for cancer survivors. It's helpful for fatigue. In some studies, we've seen effects on depression. And the other thing is the research on yoga right now is in some ways, you know, we're just beginning. <laughs> some people will say, well, there's quite a lot of research. Well, there's, there is, but the way we do the research in the West is really interesting because we often don't look at yoga as a whole system. And in my book, I describe, you know, yoga is really a whole system. We could look at Patanjali's yoga system and understand it's not just about stretching or the asanas, right? It's not just the physical postures. It's a whole system at play there. So when we ask him, what does the research say behind yoga? It also depends on what do we mean by yoga, right? But the way that we've generally looked at it in the West is through the physical postures, the asanas, and also through the breathing, pranayama. And often those things are actually separated in some way in research. So we have research looking at just the breathing aspects or pranayama. Some people call that pranayama, right? Which literally means life force extension because you're working with the breath or the vital force as they described it. The vital force and the breath are very linked. And we see these effects on lowering heart 
issues, including blood pressure, increasing what we call the rest and digest or parasympathetic dominance in the system that helps us sort of repair our immune system and sleep better and reduce pain, you know, those kinds of things. So we see these sorts of mechanisms. And of course, what we learn from pranayama and yoga and meditation is the role of the vagus, right? The role of the vagal nerve, which is the biggest cranial nerve in our body that really helps drive home these parasympathetic nervous system effects. But what's cool about yoga and the vagus is that it's a two-way system. So it's not just by doing the stretching or whatever that our brain is telling our body to calm down. It's also that our body is signaling to the brain and actually shifting the kinds of neurotransmitters that are made. Because again, coming into body awareness and moving our physical bodies actually sends signals from the vagus up to the brain and can reduce the level of things like inflammatory cytokines, right? Which are immune transmitters in the body, but also alter brain chemistry, right? And this all happens through the vagus. And part of the way that happens is through slowed breathing, but it also happens through slow movement. Amazing. There is one final question I'd love to explore with you. And this is, and this will be an interesting one is where you see the future lying in terms of integrating both, you know, traditional medicine and alternative medicine with some of the modern advances with the technology that we have nowadays. Sure. So Lucas, what we're learning is that I talked a little bit earlier about, we used to think that the body was like all separate, separate organs. The mind didn't connect with the body and all of that. What we're learning is that we're a system, right? That's what systems biology is about. You know, all of these different explorations, the biofield is also part of a system, right? So what we're learning and what we're moving to is what we call systems-based medicine. Some people simply call it whole person health. We can use fancy scientific terms or we can just use common sense terms. We are whole beings. Our energy matters, our spirit matters, our relationships matter, our environment matters, our diet matters, and the things that we put in our body matter. So we don't have to choose one over the other. That is so 20th century. Just because I believe in energy healing doesn't mean I'm anti-vaccine or whatever. Like, you know, that's just, <laughs> that model doesn't even fit the data. Okay. The data say we are whole beings. We are whole systems. Not only is my spirit interconnected with my body, my consciousness is interconnecting with yours. That's what the healing research is showing us. So where the future of medicine is, is, is really all about exploring the deep healing power of our connection in all these ways. It's a systems-based medicine. And so it's going to naturally integrate what we've learned, all of the fascinating and amazing precise work that we're doing in systems biology and in bioelectromagnetics and, you know, all these fun areas of regenerative medicine we're going to actually tie those back in with the holistic viewpoint that was part and parcel of all indigenous forms of medicine where we realized way back when that we're not separate. We're deeply interconnected. And so we can utilize the best of all of that to be whole beings and heal not only ourselves, but this planet. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, one of the big reasons why I was so fascinated with, you know, naturopathy myself being a qualified naturopath that you know, the idea of holistic health and yeah, not, not overemphasizing one system, less so on that reductionist approach, but exactly what you said, understanding the benefits of all elements, all systems in the body, and even that biofield energetics, like you mentioned, which I think, you know, I think that's an area that's 
very much neglected and I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing. So did you want to let my listeners know where they can connect with you, where they can find your book, let them know how they can sort of learn more? You bet. And, you know, I know we didn't have time today, but I lead a nonprofit collaborative called the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, or CHI for short. And you mentioned that, I think, in the beginning of our discussion. I want to invite people, first of all, to come and connect with us. If this conversation moved you or you'd like to just connect with community that are forwarding healing science, but also healing practice, we have free webinars and free Ask Me Anything sessions every month. And they're a great way to connect in and learn from all kinds of amazing leaders in the field both scientists and healing practitioners. So you can do that by going to webinarsonhealing.com or go to our website, which is www.chi.is, chi.is. And you'll find all kinds of goodies there. We also have really amazing reports on the state of the science of healing. They're very deep dives. You can also find me. My name is Shamini Jan. You'd probably have to look at your show note pages to learn how to spell that. The easy way to find me is just to go to healingourselvesbook.com. Healingourselvesbook.com will actually take you to that page of my website. And on that website, I also have meditations and lots of resources for you. And of course, you can learn more about the book, read the endorsements and order there if you feel like it. I'm very, very, very pleased, you know, with the book because it's really synthesizing over 25 years of research and exploring these ancient perspectives on consciousness and healing, but then really boiling it down to these practical keys that we can do for ourselves and that we can share with our patients. Mm, Amazing. That's amazing. I'll be sure to leave those linked down below for those listening in, but um, Shamini, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Lucas, thank you. It was a pleasure. Be well, and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. 